Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be discussing Voldemort's tyrannical reign in the Second Wizarding War, Hogwarts, Hogwarts First Year Students, and Wands. Let's dive into it. Voldemort's regime during the Second Wizarding War really flipped the Wizarding world on its axis. Where once there was peace, now there was heartbreak, separation, and destruction. He had successfully taken over the Ministry of Magic, torn apart Diagon Alley, and even managed to breach the walls of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, the world's foremost magic school. The school, which had previously been overseen by a powerful wizard and good guy, maybe, Albus Dumbledore, was no longer under his protection after his untimely death. Dumbledore's vacancy left a big hole in Hogwarts, and without his protection, it didn't take long for Voldemort and the Death Eaters to waltz right in. But the Death Eaters taking over Hogwarts certainly didn't mean that classes would stop. Oh no, class was still very much in session just with a very different set of rules and approach. With a double agent Snape taking the headmaster helm, most of the school staff remained in their usual postings. However, a Death Eater takeover did of course mean that a few new faces were introduced to the faculty, like Electo and Amicus Caro, a pure-blood brother-sister combo that took over Muggle Studies and Defense Against the Dark Arts, respectively. Okay, Silas, we get it. Class was still in session. What's your point? Well, school in session meant that new faces were still popping up at Hogwarts. That's right. Just like Harry Potter in his first year, new bright young witches and wizards were walking through the doors of Hogwarts for the very first time. But can you even begin to imagine how much different this experience would have been for these new first years? Harry was met with wonder, magic, and excitement. These new first years must have been met with darkness, terror, and uncertainty, entirely unsure of where the school stood amidst Voldemort's Wizarding World takeover. Why were students even sent? Well, as it turns out, new ownership meant new rules. Attendance is now compulsory for every young witch and wizard, Lupin replied. That was announced yesterday. It's a change because it was never obligatory before. Of course, nearly every witch and wizard in Britain has been educated at Hogwarts, but their parents had the right to teach them at home or send them abroad if they preferred. This way, Voldemort will have the whole wizarding population under his eye from a young age. 
and is also another way of weeding out muggle-borns, because students must be given blood status, meaning that they have proven to the ministry that they are of wizard descent before they are allowed to attend. Imagine a young wizard, bright-eyed and eager to learn, walking into the dystopian version of Hogwarts reserved for nightmares. If we're going to be completely real here, Hogwarts was basically a prison at the time. It was compulsory to attend, students were getting chained up in the dungeon, and if you got detention, it's likely that you'd be crucioed. And this doesn't even begin to factor in the trauma that first-year Muggleborns would have faced, the biggest victims of all. Hopefully, the Muggleborns were smart enough to just stay home, because realistically, they would have almost certainly faced imprisonment or death. But for those students that did approach this like a normal school year, circumstances aside, my question is, how did they source their school supplies? Specifically, how did they source their ones? As soon as the half-blood prince, Diagon Alley had been terrorized, Ollivander was missing, and his wand shop had closed down. How are students meant to procure supplies? Wands are one of the most important, scratch that, the most important part of a witch or wizard's arsenal, so there's got to be some kind of explanation here. Interestingly, Book 7 does seem to introduce that there is some level of new wand legislation, but things are certainly still a little unclear. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Does the ministry have possession of ones, releasing them only to those with verification of blood status, or have Ollivander's ones been ransacked by the Death Eaters? We do know that Bellatrix gets another wand, after all. Well, as it turns out, this question is somewhat addressed in some dialogue between Lupin, Arthur, and Ginny in The Half-Blood Prince. When word first gets out that Ollivander had been kidnapped, Ginny asks how people will get ones. Talking of Diagon Alley, said Mr. Weasley, looks like Ollivander's gone too. The wand maker, said Ginny, looking startled. That's the one, shop's empty. No sign of a struggle. No one knows whether he left voluntarily or was kidnapped. But ones, what'll people do for ones? They'll make do with other makers, said Lupin. But Ollivander was the best. And if the other side have got him, it's not so good for us. What this means is that first years could have had their pick of any of the other one shops, assuming they weren't closed too. However, it does also mean that they would have to settle for subpar ones, assuming there is some merit to the whole Ollivander's ones are the best, elitist mentality. This also kind of checks out, because why would Voldemort care whether or not first year students had access to the best of the best when it came to ones? If you guys want me to make a video on the history of all known wand makers, then let me know by leaving a comment down below. Okay, so first years had to attend Hogwarts due to new legislation, and they were able to source wands through other wand shops. But can we just talk about the experience they probably had? How would they ever be able to just shrug it off and go back to school the following year? POV, you're a muggle-worn. You are entirely unaware of your magical abilities, or the fact that magic is real for that matter. You've never heard of Hogwarts. 
You didn't know there was a wizarding world and you just turned 11. A letter comes in the mail, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Interesting. You begin to read and you start to see the words witch, wizard, and magic appear on a page more than you've ever seen before. The letter is interesting, but without a McGonagall visiting to explain how things work, it's hard to make sense of it. But wait, what's this? Compulsory attendance? Your life as you know it gets uprooted and all of a sudden you're forced into attendance at a magical school. You're apprehensive, but your parents come to the consensus that the letter is legitimate and that you should be sent away. This is where the journey begins. You show up at Hogwarts at the rhyme page of 11, more intimidated by this new environment than anyone could ever imagine. There are whispers among students that things are very different this year, but you don't know what they mean. Things escalate quickly. You're sorted into a house and then immediately punished, along with many others, simply for existing as a muggle-born. Chained up in the dungeons and tortured by alleged professors with the Cruciatus Curse, you remain stuck there until Voldemort is finally defeated. My question is, after the whole Voldemort conflict had ended, how could Hogwarts staff, the good ones, reasonably expect these types of students to come back? How did Hogwarts recover? The school had been physically destroyed, yes, but that was fixable. Its reputation, on the other hand, would be much harder to fix. How could parents of younger students ever put their trust in the school again when it came to the safety of their students? How could Muggleborns, who showed up and received instant torture, ever put their faith in Hogwarts? While the Second Wizarding War may have ended with Voldemort's defeat, you can be sure that the Wizarding World took a long time to recover. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.